This is the Sharing and Caring podcast series with myself, Nicholas Nikolai. Sharing and Caring Podcasts is a series of interviews with leading social scientists in the collaborative economy. The Sharing and Caring Podcast series is produced in association with the Cost Action 16121 from Sharing to Caring, examining socio-technical aspects of the collaborative economy and the University of Nicosia. Hello to all our listeners and thank you all for tuning in. We're really excited to be kicking off our podcast series with two great thinkers in the field of the sharing and collaborative economy. One could argue we are at a sensitive juncture in terms of the potential of digital technologies, human-computer interaction, and collaborative solutions that work for the public interest. So it's with great pleasure to have with us today Professor Susan Bodker and Dr. Anton Fedosov, both members of our Sharing Economy Action, in order to shed some light on these issues. Susan Bodker is a professor of human-computer interaction in the Computer Science Department at Aarhus University in Denmark, where she has worked since 1983. She is known for her work on participatory design and computer-mediated human activity, and her current research is focused on common interactive objects for communities and joint activities. She is the PI of the CIO project, which is funded as an ERC advanced grant. Some of Professor Bodker's numerous recognitions include in 2008 the Association for Computing Machinery Rigo Award for Lifetime Contribution to the Field of Communication Design. The award cited Professor Bodker for her contributions to participatory design, computer-supported cooperative work, and human-computer interaction. In 2015, she won the Lifetime Achievement Award of the European Society for Socially Embedded Technologies and the International Institute for Socioinformatics. And in 2016, she won the Pioneer Award of the International Federation for Information Processing Technical Committee on Human-Computer Interaction. Dr. Anton Fedosov is an interaction design researcher at the People and Computing Lab of the University of Zurich in Switzerland. His research interests lie at the intersection of social aspects of ubiquitous computing, collaborative economy, and user experience design of interactive systems and services. He received his PhD in informatics from Uzi Lugano in Switzerland. Prior to that, Anton was working in applied research groups in the mobile industry in North America, Western Europe, and Japan, gaining expertise in the areas of mobile human-computer interaction, augmented reality, and wearable devices. The structure of the podcast is that we will give Professor Bodker and Dr. Fedosov the floor in order to discuss issues regarding their research by each asking several questions to the other in an open-ended manner. So without any further ado, here is Susan Bodker and Anton Fedosov. Anton, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, all right, Suzanne. Um, it's my pleasure to be here interviewing you and um, talking to you. So um, based on the um, introduction that Nicholas did and uh, uh, your long-standing experience um, doing research in participatory design and researching communities uh, in the sharing economy context uh, and the technologies of those communities. What do you think are the most optimal ways to work with uh, such communities? Thank you, Anton. It's a really interesting question and uh, I'm not sure I have a sort of uh, 
a really strong answer to it. I think uh, in my experience, longer term partnerships are always a good thing and it's strong and it's also just simply from the perspective of doing research, good to have projects that are more long lasting, right? But at the same time, I think at times people tend to get too committed to the communities that they end up working with. And that can also be a difficulty in terms of terminating the the relationship or or changing it to a new phase or whatever. But surely I think that some sort of partnership that that takes time is important. And I actually think that one of the problems that we see a lot in human-computer interaction in general is these very short-term studies where people sort of come in and they study a phenomenon for a very short time and then they just leave again. So I simply think that that research-wise, you get more out of a longer-term relationship, basically. Um, so we, we are actually for now almost the third time trying to get back to a community that we've studied here in Aarhus that is dealing with organic food distribution. We are a little bit, it's a little bit complicated with the, uh, with the current COVID pandemics of actually not so much getting access, but to do the kind of studies we really like to do. But I think I'm looking forward to actually uh, getting back to them a couple of years later uh, than we were there last and seeing what has happened there. So Anton, maybe I can ask you back now that we are at it. With your background and your the way you work so many places in the world, how come you, you came to be interested in communities and technologies? Thank you, Suzanne, for your question. Um, yeah, so my path uh, kind of originated from the um, my doctoral work. Um, where I explored how people uh, share personal data in the context of uh, so-called personal informatics uh, area. Um, you know, with this advent of um, wearable technologies and ubiquitous computing, people wear a lot of uh, um, uh, wearables, devices like uh, smartwatches and fitness trackers and uh, uh, even... Uh, um, some sort of uh, augmenting reality glasses to a certain extent. And um, they generate a lot of digital traces uh, in such a way. So, um, yeah, so I became interested in this type of um, sharing game, so to say. And uh, I was trying to uh, understand how this data is shared on the social media, what are uh, motivations and, uh, and uh, challenges of, the, of these people. And then I kind of thought like, all right, so we, we know that people share a lot of data on the social media platforms and apps. And uh, are there any differences between um, sharing personal digital data and sharing physical things in the real world? So I looked at the um, differences and similarities between uh, sharing data and sharing personal things. Um, so I became interested in this um, in this kind of uh, tool sharing, uh, um, yeah, 
household artifacts sharing of domestic use and um, I uh, um, initiated this uh, uh, project at uh, um, Vancouver Tool Library in uh, um, in Vancouver, Canada, where I was a visiting researcher for uh, uh, several months. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was curious, like uh, essentially what is happening with these uh, tool libraries because people borrow a lot of tools and uh, they build some some creative uh, creative stuff over there, or maybe they fix in their houses, etc. And how those uh, um, tool sharing practices are organized. Um, what is more, um, it became apparent that um, many people who borrow those tools they never really um, um, describe or explain what they do with them. Um, and so we developed uh, uh, some kind of uh, tool um, in the form of the mobile app to collect these kind of uh, histories of the shared tools. And um, Vancouver Tool Library really liked that approach and uh, um, kind of it allows them to capture, preserve and share these digital memories and histories of use that that's uh, kind of created an opportunity for um, community strengthening and uh, making the work of the, those communities uh, visible. Um, yeah, so this is how I came into this game of uh, communities and technologies. And since then, I've been working uh, um, with some other communities, uh, also here in Europe, uh, in Switzerland, um, that uh, kind of drawing on this type of research. It's interesting because you work so many different places. Do you see any, you know, what are the differences and some similarities between these kind of communities across the world, across cultures? I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, um, I, I just uh, have this thought that um, somehow in North America, uh, in Europe, I, I saw there's a little bit of distinction when it comes to the well, I'm, I'm talking from the academic perspective right now, like um, in the human computer interaction uh, scholarly area and design research, it seems like um, in North America, there is more focus on the uh, kind of refle reflective approach to research. While in Europe, we uh, used to somehow build uh, stuff, build systems and, and, and tools, and then like we you know, we try to deploy them and, and, and test and, and then we think. So um, this is kind of maybe maybe subtle, but um, yeah, I thought that was a difference in, in terms of the mindset. When it comes to the differences between the communities, I think they all have their particularities and, and complexities they're dealing with. So, but there's a lot of uh, shared challenges, um, you know, across the globe that those communities experiences. Do you also see, I mean, I'm just thinking with my own background in participatory design and so on, do you also see a difference in how much the designers or researchers engage with the communities? Is there a difference between that in the various parts of the world or is it more local differences, so to speak? Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, um, provocative question. So um, 
on top of my head, I mean, I I, I don't see you know particularly um, you know stark differences or anything like that. It's a, it's it's a matter of how researchers uh, approach those communities and what kind of kind of methodology they they decided to employ in their work. Um, so, uh, for instance, uh, myself uh, working uh, with the communities in uh, in North America or here in Switzerland, um, I, I try to adopt similar uh, established methodologies, like you mentioned, participatory design. There's there's other others like co-design, co-creation approaches, as well as a research through design, uh, which share quite a lot of the qualitative uh, approach to to research. Um, yeah. Thank you. So I go for the uh, my second question to Suzanne. Suzanne, how do you see emerging technological paradigms like uh, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, and distributed ledger technologies could improve or inhibit everyday practices and processes within sharing economy communities and initiatives? Mm, I, I think those are really interesting questions. I think, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly not terribly impressed with the way artificial intelligence and AI is going today. And I'm actually old enough that I can remember the, uh, you know, when, when, the, um, when AI turned big in the 80s and in the 90s. And it seems that, that it has come and gone, but that really the challenges that that I see in AI from the perspective of use and user communities are actually very much the same as as they were even in the 80s. It's a lot about uh, transparency and accountability of the ways that um, that artificial intelligence is used. Of course, so I think mainly maybe the, the difference this time around from the previous times is that that there's a lot more focus on data and, and bigger amounts of data in various ways. And I think it's, of course, interesting in a way how, if and how communities, in a sense, can become better at utilizing and doing stuff with their, with their own data. But but as far as I see it, many of the communities I've studied myself, for instance, I mean, they don't have that amount or those amounts of data, really, because, you know, when, when I talk to my colleagues who are into data and, and when they talk about big data, I mean, it's not really at the level of data and data points uh, where where in a sense, any of the communities that I know that they would be able to generate or have or have access to or or even utilize. So in that sense, I'm not I'm not so sure that that the current wave of artificial intelligence will be something in the long run. And and in particular, I'm not convinced that that it does anything good, you can say, for for some of these communities. I think with the um, with peer-to-peer -peer technologies and stuff like um, like Bitcoin and various ways of doing these kind of transactions that are and well, if not anonymous, but then then sort of um, 
more more directly, but 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 not based on a formal economy and so on. I think there are some interesting possibilities. Um, but I again, I I actually honestly think that that um, well, you can say that peer-to-peer technology was also seen as a very sort of liberating thing when when it first came out. I don't actually think we've still seen how how this this could really work. I I honestly think that a lot of the problems we're facing in this area is that um, is in a sense the commercialization. There's so much thought that that when people apply technology it's because they need to uh, earn money from it and I and I actually like the idea that that one can shift to a perspective or a paradigm where it's not all about commercializing neither the technology or the technological platforms nor the transactions that we do on them uh, but I think we we do, of course, run into all other all sorts of other problems. Like, for instance, with legislation. I mean, I know, for instance, that in Denmark, things like time banks and so on have been problematic because they, you know, the the, Dan- the Danish society actually want people to pay taxes of the uh, of the income they 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 have, and so. To have this sort of under the under the radar economy is a is a bit of a challenge in general. So so I see maybe with that some some interesting possibilities, but I think it's not it it hasn't been developed and and um, it remains to be seen. You can see. Maybe I. Could then also ask you, Anton. You know, what do you see, see as the most burning challenges of technology right now, and uh, what do we need to do to deal with these challenges? Right. This is a really good question. Um, so, as you already mentioned, there are many challenges out there. Um, companies collecting lots of data. Uh, about their users um, and um, the question uh, I would ask there where to draw the line what is the silver lining between the uh, privacy and utility Um, clearly some of the research efforts like uh, privacy by design are looking into that uh, topic and uh, trying to adopt awareness uh, about privacy and in incorporated in the early stages of the design process of different services and platforms. These are the good things. Um, I believe that companies like Facebook and Google, they're also looking into that. Um, Some of them are dealing with such uh, things like uh, multi-party privacy conflicts when uh, several parties have different privacy attitudes and uh, and behavior, so how to handle these situations when, uh, for instance, a picture uh, that uh, that has uh, several people, people on that, uh, how, how to tag this, untag this, and all kind of uh, complications that arises from this, and uh, especially uh, on the social media. And yeah, so companies are, uh, you know, selling their their data, the data of the of the users, and uh, personal data uh, became a commodity that drives businesses. 
So the emerging question for the, for the research and practice would be how can we effectively protect privacy while still getting an adequate level of utility from a service at hand? Um, yeah, um, companies, I think, uh, are looking into that um, to the level that um, they can, given the priorities of their businesses. Um, some of the tools, privacy-aware tools emerged out there. There's a, a privacy-aware browser out called DuckGoGo, um, ProtonMail, um, uh, uh, other instant messaging software like Signal or Telegram, so that uh, um, emphasizes the ephemerality of the data, that could, the data could be expired. But I think what I would like to bring um, in terms of the burning challenges is uh, that is often on the fridge, but albeit very critical for the context of the sharing economy, it's a intricate and piecemeal use of the technologies of those kind of communities. Um, Nonprofit uh, sharing economy communities out there are using very uh, generic tools mm -hmm. out there. Also, from your own uh, uh, research, Suzanne, you, you you wrote about it on on several occasions, and uh, those generic tools doesn't necessarily uh, support the needs of the community, um, like enabling uh, democratic governance, uh, user onboarding, uh, or accrual and transfer of trust. So thus, I see that um, much more work can, uh, um, can be done uh, towards um, designing and tailoring um, uh, these technologies for the community around the sharing economy and their needs and their emerging challenges. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is, of course, also in a way, how I think about it. Um, and again, it is with a lot of these platforms even and communities then get dependent on the particular technology. And then after a while, that is no longer supported or it's become commercialized. So all of a sudden it costs a heck of a lot of money or the or the people, the local people in the communities who knew how to set up these technologies are no longer interested in the in the community or they're too busy or whatever. And and I think that is a problem. And I really kind of wonder why there's not, in a sense, room for for open technologies, for open platforms that could be more effectively used in the in these kind of contexts, and so I don't know. Have you have you thought about you know the possibility of a more open platforms in this area? I think there have been several efforts in the past that um, um, uh, some of the uh, some of the initiatives uh, uh, that are capable of producing this open source of software. Uh, they are giving those their products uh, for free. There was. Um, um, Something comes to mind is this uh, um, share tribe from from Finland, mm. um, but I think this also became uh, commercialized at the end. Um, open source is great, uh, 
uh, especially it's great when there's a community that supports that behind it and fix all these uh, difficulties and issues. Um, it's not often, um, so to say, user-friendly and the experience about the open source required some kind of uh, technical skills that often missing in those uh, who are running those type of communities. Mm. So it's a matter of, uh, of having right people, you know, volunteers and, and right skill sets in place to, to run this up. Um, th however, there are some uh, research efforts that I'm aware of uh, out of uh, University of Washington in Seattle. They're building some kind of uh, a policy kit to um, to enable uh, um, kind of a policy decision and democratic governments in the communities. But again, to set up the policy, it, it, you need to dig in a bit into their, into their um, uh, vocabulary and also and technologies as well. So we talked about the burning challenges for technology. And I wonder how, how do these challenges relate to your own research? Yeah, so um, I'm generally interested about the um, explainable and transparent uh, transparency in technologies. You mentioned this also uh, earlier, and I think that is it's a key out there. So ease of adoption and uh, onboarding and use of technologies um, that seem, seems like becoming quite an emerging challenge. Um, I think uh, creating useful, usable, pleasurable, and meaningful interactions. Uh, that that's uh, that's a really game changer and a key. So my research, um, kind of looking into that. So I'm um, I'm looking how design and technology can contribute to supporting uh, establishment, endurance, and growth of those community-oriented sharing economy initiatives. And uh, I recently became uh, interested in the uh, knowledge transfer between the design research and design practice. So I've been working on some of the projects that um, uh, allow to kind of create this translational resources that could be used by the practitioners, but because they often don't have time and uh, and and resources to to invest in in a in a fast uh, cycle project that we're working on. So we, uh, as um, HCI and design researchers, maybe could do better job in terms of like creating tools that practitioners can pick up easily in mm. their work that would benefit everybody. Are you are you seeing this primarily within the communities also like designed from the outside of the communities you could say? Both. Both, Both yeah. definitely. I uh, the the problem of the knowledge transfer it's not a new problem in in uh, in, in science and uh, um, so, yeah, it's, it applies for different type of uh, um, communities and sub-communities, but in our case, it's also really uh, emergent in the uh, context of the sharing economy. So um, I argued for, for the particular, particular need of supporting the design efforts in the context of the sharing economy in my recent uh, publications. Interesting. Uh, all right, so um, then I'm going to go with my third question here. Suzanne, what are the most burning challenges do you see for local sharing economy communities and cooperatives? And um, how we can help to address them? Yeah, 
I, I actually think there is this problem that one one thing is the problem of picking up and using and taking in technologies, but there are actually in a sense what you could call sustainability issues of the technologies that these communities embrace. Because I think there is really this kind of ongoing challenge of um, keeping up with the ways technologies change. I think that's generally true in society. But 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 I think it's even more true for, for local communities who don't have the... Uh, say, for instance, the money available to just go out and buy new technological devices or new systems and new platforms every every time something new comes up. So they are often quite dependent on, on borrowing and appropriating technologies to their need. And, and, and sort of keeping up with that and maintaining that, I think, is, is really a challenge for a lot of communities. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that can be solved. I was actually thinking your your tool library is almost, you know, like a thing that could be quite useful for communities to have in a larger scale in a city or, you know, where where it would be possible to uh, to to get technologies from or to uh, to borrow technologies from or even to to get advice from in various ways but i think it really just is a big and quite open situation and i'm not sure exactly how how it will be solved i my feeling is that a lot of communities try to use in a sense as little technology as possible and i think it is pretty much because of this because they know that Every time they start using something, they become dependent on it in a way that 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 they don't really know what to do with because because that means they also become dependent on certain particular people and and so on. So I think that there's there's something there that um, we can explore more from the perspective of research, but but we can also we we also don't. You know, I think from as community members, we don't really necessarily know exactly how to do this, and and I think that is why people, people or communities become dependent on things like Facebook because then you don't need to bother with, for in, for instance, maintaining membership databases and so on because you can just be dependent on people maintaining their own Facebook profiles, and then. That's kind of solved in some ways. It it introduces for sure other problems, but but I think that's that's why we. I mean, I think we see so many examples where where communities are trying to then do something else and fail along the way, or end up not doing it anyway because they realize that that it's very complicated to really provide alternatives, or it's costly because you need to then. Uh, in a sense, buy commercial systems that would help you do a membership database or whatever. So, so I think that those are, I mean, they're real problems, and and I don't actually think we have answers to the to those problems as as researchers as such. We can we can see why, but but 
but but it's actually not so easy to uh, to offer the alternatives really and and other than and that gets back to your your question of the long-term engagement of course if you if in if you as a researcher engage yourself to the extent that you also you know take over maintaining people's technologies or whatever then then that's of course a possibility but i'm not sure i I find that quite a very recommendable from the perspective of, of the researchers. But of course, it also happens. Well, uh, yes, I think this is a really good um, point that, that you mentioned there. Um, there's, um, there's this uh, um, kind of uh, new direction that, um, um, that recently been emerged in this, uh, in this space of uh, um, the share in the big bigger space of the sharing economy, which is uh, called platform cooperativism, where the actual members um, of of the of the cooperative uh, online cooperative in this in this case, they own these technologies and they are maintaining and they are reaping the benefits of these technologies, mm-hmm. and there are there are people, um, yeah, who are really behind this type of. Uh, uh, approach and uh, contrasting it to the current um, models of the platform capitalism that uh, exercised in the mainly by the companies in the Silicon Valley. Mm. So uh, I think those type of uh, initiatives are really worth looking at, and uh, by creating necessary conditions uh, and skills. Um, within those communities, I think that there's an interesting way they could build alternatives to, um, you know, to Airbnb and Uber in their own communities. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, and uh, and it kind of leads me to maybe my final question to you, Anton. And and I mean, maybe I'm kind of representing the past, and you're representing the future in this. So. Do you have an idea of how this situation, what, what are we looking at in five or ten years' time in this space of um, communities and their, and their use of technologies? That's a really uh, good uh, question. So I would say that we would need to learn how we live with a more autonomous technologies in the future. So, um, meaning that Internet of Things type of uh, domestic technologies already enter our life, like the smart uh, speakers, uh, TVs, and all kind of assistants and chatbots. So now the question that um, I would ask would be, how can we actually design with those uh, non-human agents that may be even communicating with each other using different type of protocols and uh, and rules. So, yeah, so that would be kind of interesting, uh, open-ended, uh, kind of speculative uh, type of um, efforts to explore how we could uh, um, live and uh, and. Um, yeah, and create uh, create new values in this type of arrangements, where where for instance, um, 
um, our partners, our co-design partners could be not not just uh, stakeholders uh, that in different kind of communities, but also a, um, I don't know, a smart lock uh, um, or or smart uh, bicycle or anything like that. Mm. So that's, I, yeah. No, that's just very interesting. Uh, and of course, as you're saying, a very open-ended way of thinking about it. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you, it was a pleasure. Thank you both. Um, I would like to thank you, Professor Bodker and Dr. Fedorov, for that illuminating discussion. And um, just one more thing before I let you go. Um, something we're trying to do to, to incorporate in this podcast series is to ask uh, each of you if you could recommend one uh, literature work, one, uh, one book maybe, our audience would be interested in uh, in reading. So, um, uh, Suzanne, anything to recommend? Yeah, I, 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 I'm the one of the challenges I think we have is that the whole area of human computer interaction and and CSW and, and computer science, for that matter, in general, is not very big on books, but. Uh, I actually think uh, in my own way of thinking about some of these, you know, what what is what are these technologies? How can we understand them? How tangible are we? I actually think the uh, the book that Paul Dursch put out a couple of years ago called The Stuff of Bits could be, be one thing that, that I would really recommend. The other thing, and I just need to find the title because I have it right here, is... Um, a book by uh, Brian Cantwell Smith, who who's been involved with AI really since the beginning of times. I met him when when I when he worked at Xerox Park in the early eighties, and I happened to be there. and 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 the book is very recent, and it talks about uh, the promise of artificial intelligence, and and it kind of talks about how nothing much has changed uh, over the years. So I think that, that that is maybe another read. I think I like it because, as I, I said earlier, you know, AI has been sort of hyped so much as something new and, and coming and so on. But, but those of us who are old enough to remember have actually seen that happen before without making it making very much of a difference anyway. So I think I'll leave it with those two. Great, great. Thank you so much. And how about you, Anton? Um, yeah, I agree with Suzanne that uh, um, in computing and um, computer science, we don't have much of a, a books lately. Um, people more publishing and conferences and uh, and top uh, uh, journals. Um, so uh, I would recommend a book from the uh, a media scholar. Um, his name is uh, Nicholas John. And he wrote the book a few years ago called The Age of Sharing. Uh, for me, it was really um, illuminating read and uh, where he interrogates what actually sharing means um, and how the actual word came about. Um, he goes uh, about uh, communicative and distributed logics behind the word sharing. It, it means both letting somebody know 
and also divide something in parts. And then he uh, looks uh, further into the uh, contemporary concepts of the, um, yeah, of the sharing and uh, looks uh, at the sharing as a, as a model of economic behavior and also as a type of the therapeutic talk. So, and finds so find these differences and commonalities, uh, how those two things are related and um, in principle and in reality. So this book was really uh, um, important uh, piece for me when I was writing my dissertation several, a few years ago. Um, and the second book uh, I would go with would be perhaps um, the edited book uh, um, of uh, Treble Schultz and Nathan Schneider. Um, it's called Ours to Hack and to Own. Um, and the subtitle is The Rise of Platform Cooperativism, a New Vision for the Future of Work and a Fairer Internet. I think this is a really great read uh, to, to look into this uh, kind of, uh, yeah, how we essentially can build a, a, a better communities uh, in the internet and uh, uh, talks about these different uh, challenges and uh, of the um, platform co uh, capitalism and introduces this, uh, this new direction of the platform uh, cooperativism and uh, yeah. So I think that will be really, it's a great introductory read for, for those who are interested in these uh, topics. And there's uh, several uh, chapters that, uh, um, that the researchers and thinkers on these subjects are, uh, I wrote. So I'll leave it with that. Great. Thank you so much, Anton. And uh, once again, thank you both, Professor Bodker, Dr. Fedesov. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Cost Action 16121 From Sharing to Caring, Examining Socio-Technical Aspects of the Collaborative Economy is a European corporation in science and technology action running from 2017 to 2021. The main objective of this action is to develop a European network of actors. These include scholars, practitioners, communities and policy makers. The action focuses on the development of collaborative economy models and platforms and on social and technological implications of the collaborative economy through a practice-focused approach. For more information, go to sharingandcaring.eu.